Hello, and welcome to the Blue Earth Podcast, a show focused on discussing our oceans and how to take care of them. My name is John Sherber, and the show's producer, and I want to talk to you for a second about who we are and tell you how to get a hold of us. The Blue Earth Podcast is brought to you by Future Frogmen, a not-for-profit organization focused on developing ocean ambassadors and future leaders. We're a diverse, interdisciplinary team of students, activists, educators, and professionals who work to keep our Earth, well, blue. We welcome involvement from anybody interested in making Earth's water environment safer, cleaner, and better than ever. If you like the show, please subscribe, like, rate, comment, review, whatever floats your boat. If you want to see more Future Frogman content, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat, and LinkedIn at Future Frogman, and at our website at futurefrogman.org, where you can subscribe to hear about upcoming podcasts and events. Right now, we're gearing up for weekly shows, where we'll converse with guests about our oceans. Until we're fully up and running, we're repurposing our video conversation series to showcase some of our favorite episodes, like today's. Today's guest speaker is Hallie Berger, a valuable Future Frogman volunteer who will graduate from the University of Connecticut this summer with a master's in marine science. Hallie's area of expertise is the study of Dungeness crabs, a North American native species of crabs that is currently in danger due to ocean acidification. Hallie will speak today on these crabs and the impact of climate change upon their entire species. Thank you, and remember, anyone can be an ocean ambassador. Let's get into it. I want to thank everyone for joining us tonight and welcome you to another episode of the Future Frogmen Conversation Series. Really excited to have uh, Ms. Hallie Berger with us tonight. Uh, Hallie is a very involved volunteer with our organization, Future Frogmen. She's injected a lot of energy and uh, has been a lot of fun to work with. So it's, it's really an honor to have her with us tonight to talk about Dungeness crabs which is her specialty, and predicting vulnerability to climate change, the crab's vulnerability to climate change. So, Hallie, I know you have your undergrad in marine biology from Northeastern University, and you're in your second year of your master's studies at UConn at the Avery Point campus. But can you tell us more about your background and, and uh, where you're from and so forth? Yeah, of course. Um, thank you for that introduction. I'm from Southeast Massachusetts, and so I grew up right along the water, and I was really interested in, you know, the ocean, and I started attending a summer camp in fifth grade that was sciences, and getting your hands wet in the water and learning about the animals and everything, Um, so that's what really started me out on this path of marine science. From there, I took some classes in high school about biology and marine biology, um, and I did an internship with a local nonprofit called um, the Buzzards Bay Coalition, and they work in New Bedford, Massachusetts to protect the local watershed. And through those activities, I knew from there I wanted to go on to college to study marine biology, which is how I got involved um, with Northeastern University. And it was there that I started exploring research through a few different opportunities that I had. Um, One was what's called a research experience for undergraduates, where you go to a different school for a summer and you do an independent research project. And there I was actually studying um, a different crab species and became really excited about research and knew that after getting my undergraduate, I wanted to go on to get a master's, which is how I came to the University of Connecticut. And you're at the Avery Point campus of UConn, right? 
Yeah, so we're right in Groton, Connecticut, right on the waterfront. Mm -hmm. Okay, and then and that school is focused uh, exclusively on marine science. Um, we have a few other programs, but we have a pretty large marine sciences department here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Now, uh, I find it really interesting that as the little bit I know about Dungeness crabs, they're uh, from the Pacific Northwest area, um, and uh, you're here on the East Coast. So how did you get involved and interested in Dungeness crabs? Yeah, that's a great question. So one of my advisors, um, her name is Samantha Sidlecki. She is a biogeochemical modeler, and she was working out at the University of Washington prior to coming to UConn. Um, so all of her work prior to coming here was focused on the West Coast. And for that reason, I'm using her model for the West Coast to study the vulnerability of Dungeness crabs to climate change. And that's kind of why I'm focused on a West Coast species, even though I'm on the East Coast. Mm -hmm. Okay, I look forward to hearing more about the model uh, when we get to your work uh, later in the conversation. Um, now, again, us East Coasters probably don't know a whole lot about the Dungeness crab. Can you familiarize us with this crab? Yeah, so they're a pretty important species on the West Coast. They range all the way from Alaska to Southern California. Um, and they have a really great economic value because they comprise a fishery. Um, and they're also culturally important because there are some tribal communities along the West Coast that fish them as well. They also have ecological importance because they make up a major part of the food web there. So something most people might not know is that they have a very complex life cycle. Um, so the Dungeness crab life cycle is unique because it has life stages that occupy different regions of the water column. It starts off with the adult females and males, which live along the bottom mating. And the females produce about 2 million eggs, which are carried under her abdomen um, between the months of October and December. And the eggs hatch between January and March, and they hatch into these larval stages, which are called zoea and megalope. Um, and the zoea are able to disperse offshore, actually pretty far from the shore, um, and undergo a few molts in the water column before becoming megalopa, which is this last stage here. And the megalopa are able to swim back onto the shore where they settle and in the near shore environment between April and August. And this is when they molt into the juvenile stage. And the juveniles um, hang out for about two years before molting into sexually mature adults and the cycle can start again. So the females are left alone by the fishery and they have a lifespan of eight to 10 years, whereas the males reach large enough size to be fished at about four years of age. And they actually comprise the most valuable single species fishery for the West Coast. Um, and the fishery is managed based on um, season as well. So they do not fish um, when the crabs are molting or mating. And like I said, the tribes are also managing the fisheries and they actually get the first pick. So their fishery opens before um, Oregon, Washington, and California's does. Okay, so 
there there are some state or federal regulations as well, but the, or do the tribes control the regulations? So it's managed by the states, um, but the tribes do have a say in that management as well. Mm -hmm. yeah. And they they have uh, they're given an advantage to fish earlier than other people. Yeah. Okay. And you mentioned the economic value. Uh, it's not like you're harvesting a claw, like on a stone crab or something. You harvest the entire crab, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, only the males. Only the males, right? Yeah. And did you say uh, that it's the largest economic value of fish harvested on the West Coast? Yes. Yeah. In, in most years, it is the most valuable single species fishery for the West Coast. Wow. Now, let's. Uh, anything else we should know about the Dungeness crabs before we move on? Um, so I guess um, one last thing is that the fishery right now is pretty sustainably managed. Um, so a lot of people aren't too concerned about the fishery, but I am because there are these climate change impacts happening at an alarming rate on the West Coast and they could affect the fishery in the long term. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Such as I think you had mentioned in your studies, uh, Aside from the modeling, you're, you're looking at the impact of what ocean acidification and hypoxia? Yeah, um, as well as warming. So the anthropogenic emission of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere is causing global warming and it's also causing ocean acidification. So every year the ocean absorbs about a quarter of the human emitted carbon dioxide and this is causing ocean acidification, ocean acidification because Carbon dioxide has this reaction with water that creates carbonic acid and releases hydrogen ions, um, and that causes a decrease in the ocean pH. And this is happening at a global scale, but we see amplification specifically in, along the West Coast, um, and that's because this is an upwelling region. So for those of you who don't, who don't know what upwelling is, when the wind is coming from the north on the West Coast, it causes water at the surface to be pulled offshore and then water comes from below to replace it and this water that's coming from the deep already has a signature of low oxygen and high carbon dioxide as well as high nutrients so when it reaches the surface um, it stimulates algae blooms and then these algae blooms sink and die off and once they're um, being decomposed by bacteria at the bottom of the ocean this is consuming more oxygen and also releasing more carbon dioxide. So you have this amplification of the global trends of ocean acidification, as well as what we call hypoxia, which just means low oxygen conditions. Hmm. And these effects are also being compounded by global warming. Okay, that's really interesting and uh, disturbing as well. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Hallie, now let's talk a little bit about your research. Uh, how you're assessing the vulnerability of the crabs to climate change via your modeling. And maybe you could comment on kind of the baseline his, uh, historical research, your research and uh, areas that you think might require further ongoing research. So um, I'm using a vulnerability assessment framework, which is just a way that we can integrate information from a lot of different sources to kind of say, 
how vulnerable we think the crab is to these stressors. And the specific framework I'm using breaks it down to the life stage level. And we do this by estimating first, what is the consequence of being exposed to these stressors? So what happens when a life stage is exposed to low oxygen or low pH? And then second, how often are they currently or in the future being exposed to these conditions? Um, so for example, if you have a life stage that is very susceptible to a stressor, that actually won't matter if they're never gonna experience those conditions. So you need to know both of those things in order to say something about their vulnerability. Um, and to be more specific about the methods, I'm using an ocean model, which um, is made for the Washington and Oregon coast. And it is able to realistically simulate the present conditions along that coast. And we can also, um, forecast it into the future to say what the conditions will be like at the end of the century. And I use those projections within the habitat of the different life stages to calculate the exposure of the life stages to harmful conditions. And then in order to get at the consequence of exposure, I use a literature search. So I'm looking at what experiments have been done to kind of say how high of a consequence exposure would be for each life stage. Um, so consequence we score from one to three with one being no effect of exposure and three being a lethal effect, just shown in red here. So we have each of the life stages on the left-hand column, their exposure score and why I scored them as that. So you can see for um, the juveniles and adults at the bottom here, there's no, effect demonstrated after being exposed to low pH, whereas for the younger life stages, we do see some effects. So for the eggs that were exposed to low pH, they had delayed hatching. Um, the zoea, which is that first larval stage, had decreased survival. And then the megalopa, which is the last larval stage, had um, some effects on respiration and calcification. So I do that for each of my stressors um, using what's been already done. And it also highlights where future areas of research are still needed. So when I do this for oxygen, I find that there haven't actually been any studies exposing eggs or that first larval stage to low oxygen so that we can make guesses based on other species, but in order to definitively know, we'd have to have those studies done. So those studies might be future research? Yeah, um, so that's one of the things I'm also interested in is doing some of these experiments if I have time. I do have a couple of the adult Dungeness crabs that I was able to get shipped to me from the West Coast. Um, and I'm interested in looking at their oxygen consumption in relation to different stressors to kind of see what the metabolic effect of the stressors will be on them. So for instance, for hypoxia, we know from that video and from other observations that the crabs have a lethal response to hypoxia, but we don't know the exact threshold limits for them. And we would need an experiment to say what those are. So then we could inform management like, hey, maybe you shouldn't be fishing if the oxygen levels are this low. You can perform some of that uh, research with the live crabs there at every point? Yeah, we have a seawater lab out here. so. We have them in tanks and we can manipulate the water chemistry to create a uh, hypoxic conditions. And then we can look at 
you know, their mortality, but also just their respiration response and kind of make some guesses about what those thresholds are. Okay. And you were telling me that uh, I was asking you what you're going to do after graduation this spring, and you you had a couple of uh, thoughts. Would you share those with us? Yeah. So um, Noah and Sea Grant have some really great fellowship opportunities for um, grad, like postgraduate students. Um, so one option is to continue this research as a PhD student. So they have a NOAA Fisheries Fellowship um, that I applied to, and that would allow me to continue to do some of this research to get a PhD. And through this work, I've also become more interested in management and policy. Um, so they have a Coastal Management Fellowship, which would um, place you in a state coastal management zone for two years. Um, and there's different projects with that. And then finally, there's the Canals Marine Policy Fellowship, where you're actually brought to DC for a year and you work with um, either the legislative or executive branch. Okay, great. What about uh, if we go all the way back to the beginning, um, you've grown along the way with these different experiences in your educational life and, and so forth. Uh, what sort of uh, advice would you have for, uh, uh, let's say, high schoolers and undergrads that are uh, pursuing a science career? Yeah, so I would definitely say that the, if they have an interest in research, um, to get hands-on experience as soon as possible by through an internship or some sort of research opportunity like I did in college. Um, and I think those experiences are very important for making sure that research is actually right for you. Um, and there are also other things within science that you can explore through internships beyond just classes. I think those are important for um, understanding what you want to do after, after high school or after college. And Holly, uh, in closing, before we go to Q&A, um, what about uh, our audiences always ask us, how they can get involved, what can they do, are there any actions they can take? Uh, can you comment on that? Yeah, so I actually have this great infographic that I can share with you all. Um, so this was created by NOAA and National Marine Sanctuaries. Um, they created an ocean acidification toolkit with the Dungeness crabs as a case study, and part of that was creating this infographic um, saying, how can you help? So we have, you know, this problem of ocean acidification, and we know that it may make life more stressful for Dungeness crab life stages and also for their prey. So we're expecting to be some sort of effect on the crabs. Um, and this is especially important because the crabs support industry um, and livelihood of coastal communities. So they have these um, four ways you can get involved. So the first is choose to use less energy by burning fossil fuels. Um, so this is talking about your carbon footprint and, and also on like a legislative. So find out what your local government, schools and businesses are doing to reduce use of fossil fuels um, and also transition to clean energy. So supporting those businesses and um, you know government individuals who are supporting the fossil fuel switch to renewable energy and then you want to educate others about how this is impacting ocean life and finally you want to support research like i was talking about today to inform management decisions that will best protect 
the Dungeness crab and other species in the future. Uh, well, it's, it's been a pleasure uh, having you as our guest this evening. Uh, thank you for your insights and uh, the great work you've done is, is very interesting and we, we wish you continued success. I'd like to pause now and uh, see if we have any questions. Uh, I'll wait a few seconds here and see uh, whether we have anybody that wants to chime in. Would you like me to put your camera on or no? Uh, no camera. I don't think I'm camera okay. would be like now. Okay, <laughs> okay Vasey. You have a question? Uh, yes, I do. Uh, so thank you very much for that talk. I, that was definitely interesting and I learned a lot. This is not a topic I'm familiar with. So I just had one question. Um, you had a slide showing that the adults crabs are not affected by, was that hypoxia conditions specifically or were you talking about all of ocean, ocean acid, acidification in general? Yeah, so that slide was just talking about ocean acidification. Um, okay. Yeah, so there's no effect when you expose crabs to just low pH, but we do know from that video we showed that there's an effect when you expose them to low oxygen. What's okay. still unknown is what happens if they experience both low pH and low oxygen at the same time, because mm -hmm. there could be some sort of interactive effect where when they're um, combined stressors, it could actually have a larger effect. Okay, but how long was that period of exposure to low pH? Is that because it doesn't, wouldn't that affect their shells? Yeah. I, yeah. Um, so crabs have actually, crabs in general have actually um, been shown to be pretty resilient to low pH and actually still be able to calcify because they can internally regulate their um, acid base and actually create an internal environment that is conducive to building their shell from the inside out. So they actually don't have an effect. Um, and their shells are made out of chitin, which is more durable than just calcium carbonate alone. Okay. Yeah. So it would not be sensitive necessarily or not very sensitive to the prolong to prolonged exposure either? Right. Okay, yeah. thank you. Thank you for your question. Thank you. Hallie, uh, is the Pacific Northwest the only place on the planet where there are Dungeness crabs? Yeah, so just um, along the west coast of North America, yeah. Hmm. Okay, and do you see a lot of people uh, studying them? Yeah, so there are actually quite a few groups out on the west coast who are studying different aspects. Um, so there's a NOAA lab group who is really interested in ocean acidification, so they've done a lot of those studies. Um, there's also another group has, who has started doing the hypoxia work, and they're starting a motion of putting oxygen sensors onto crab traps, so we can actually see what the oxygen conditions are at those crab traps, which is really interesting data. So, uh, again, great job. Uh, we, we, we love having you on the Future Frogmen team. You're, you're such a great asset and uh, did a great job tonight. Uh, congratulations again on all your, your hard work and uh, continued success, okay? Yeah, thank you so much, Richard. This was really fun. Good, thank you. And uh, thank you, audience, for joining us tonight. And uh, hope, hopefully you'll join us again next time. Thank you so much, everyone. Have a great evening. We hope you liked our Blue Earth podcast. Thanks for listening, and please rate and review the show wherever you're hearing us. We're going to release the show on a weekly basis. So until next time, remember, anyone can be an ocean ambassador. Thanks, and have a good one.